I'm Jess Farrow, and this is the Ed Voices Podcast. Today, I'm going to be joined by our Managing Director for Systems and Conditions, Dr. Jessica Faith Carter, and we're going to be talking about some best practices um, for states and districts as they strive to select materials that are culturally responsive, that really speak to their students' identities and needs. Um, Jessica Faith, thanks for joining us, and do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me, Jess. Um, I, in my role here at Ed Reports, I primarily support our state partners with um, just creating awareness around HQIM, and I really love the work that I get to do. So I'm looking forward to just sharing a little bit more about, you know, my experiences and leaning into some strong examples from um, Ed Reports' work with culturally responsive um, instructional materials as well. Great. Oh, that's so great. Um, well, we're so lucky to have you to learn more from you. Um, I think that we probably want to start with really talking about the why. So why is it so important for students to have access to culturally responsive education? And that's like including materials that really where they can see their own experiences and communities reflected back to them in an authentic way and really gain insight into other diverse communities outside of their own. Why is that so important for them? So I think it's very important and it, it this is really rooted in my personal experience as a, as a child. Um, I love, love, love to read. And one of my favorite books from my childhood is actually this Barbie book that my parents had made for me one Christmas where I was one of the characters in the story. And it was the first time in a very long time in terms of, you know, the books that I had read and the stories I had read as a child, where there was a character who, you know, had my name, was from my same city, you know, had the same interests as I did. And I think that was probably one of the, you know, defining moments in my love of literacy, my love of learning. And I take that experience that I had many, many years ago as a child and fast forward to my time as an educator and when I was a teacher and observing that, you know, some of the materials that, you know, I had to use did not reflect the culture, did not reflect the communities, did not, you know, have any way for my students to, you know, see themselves and make those connections that made them want to read more, made them want to learn more, made them want to, to do more. And so when I, you know, got to a point in my career career where I had more autonomy, I had more agency to pick the things that, you know, I got to teach and pick the things that I knew would resonate with my students. I saw um, a tremendous difference and a tremendous change in just how receptive and responsive my students were because they finally were able to read about themselves, read about their communities, read about other communities that, um, you know, helped inform them on just ways to learn together and grow. And I think the final just benefit and the, the big why is that there's so much research out here um, that really points to the, the impact that having, you know, access to high quality cultural responsive um, education and even now materials um, can have on, on student outcomes. And so I think about, you know, the Chiefs for Change study, um, honoring origins and helping students succeed, you know, that shows that like when students have access to that relevant pedagogy and that relevant relevant materials, um, you know, it increases things like their attendance, their GPA, like their drive and willingness to learn. So um, 
yeah, just having those culturally responsive um, educational opportunities can be a, a game changer. And I know I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I did not have um, some access to that even, you know, years ago and when I was a student. Yeah, no, that's so, that's so powerful. And I think, you know, there are a lot of districts um, that want to, and states as well, that really want to do this and that that want to do this work, but sometimes it hasn't always been a part of selection practices in the past, and maybe they don't quite know the best place to start. I, I know you've done a lot of work supporting districts and states in the different ways they're approaching this, and I wonder if we could talk through, like, what are some of the best practices districts can undertake as part of a larger selection process to really ensure that not only are their material standards aligned, but they really honor and reflect all student experiences, as you've so powerfully said, is vital for them. Absolutely. So I think there are a couple of things that districts and states can do to, you know, be more forward thinking and put in more efforts to, you know, ensure that their students have access to culturally responsive, high quality um, instructional materials. And I think the first thing is just laying a strong foundation. So, you know, kind of beginning with the end in mind to clearly define the goals and the priorities and the wants and needs that are explicitly related to culturally responsive um, education practices. And, you know, these, you know, desires and the things that, you know, districts and states feel like they want and need should be included in the vision of instruction. So it's not like it should be some, you know, one-off piece or, you know, all the other characteristics of quality are on one side and then culturally responsive aspects or, you know, way, way over here on the other side, like blending it in together really helps. And when I think about this as an example, um, our work in Kentucky has been um, very, like, again, made a lot of progress in terms of the equity lenses that they brought into their um, instructional materials or instructional resources, um, consumer guides, where they are putting out information to help educators with their um, adoption process and with their reviews of materials that really articulate the markers of quality for those content areas that are also very deeply interwoven with the equity lenses that um, they worked with leading educators to develop. And so by providing that type of guidance, it really does help um, lay that foundation for what comes afterwards with the um, review process, with the adoption process. Um, I think another thing that can be helpful for states and districts is to really include those diverse perspectives as far as the people that are making the decisions and the people that are going to be involved in, you know, evaluating materials should come from a range of perspectives to make sure that, you know, everyone and everything is, is well represented. And so when we think about um, the curriculum review or the adoption committees, you know, of course, those should be educator centered um, and they should include um, a variety of perspectives. So looking at different grade levels, um, different subject, you know, levels, seniority levels, and make sure that the team is, is diverse. But then the, the groups that review should also so when, when appropriate and when necessary, be representative of the community's diverse um, identities and experiences. So really thinking about, you know, 
what other voices can come to the table to make sure that, um, you know, culture, diversity, equity, inclusion are all um, centered in that process. And so I believe that, you know, when we have more of those voices um, at the table, it's more likely that the process of going about getting materials will be one that is, you know, more equitable and it's more aligned to um, priorities around cultural responsiveness. Um, I think another thing that um, kind of falls in that foundational element is so devoting um, sufficient time. So making sure that, you know, the process of picking and selecting materials and reviewing materials, it's not like something that shouldn't be done quickly or just, you know, at the, the drop of a, a dime, like investing heavily in being thoughtful and having the time to, you know, train reviewers to make sure that they know what they're looking for and those markers of quality and those cultural responsive elements. And then also allowing reviewers to, you know, take what they're learning and, you know, put it into practice with, um, you know, careful, rigorous examinations of um, the curricula in a way that, you know, maximizes the time, but is also very thorough. Right. Because they may never have done this before as part of a, as a part of a process. So that training seems like it would be really integral and, and make sure it's not necessarily just like one session. It might involve more, more sessions than that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, what else? I think another thing that's been helpful in the work that, that I've supported and led um, over the years is just choosing the right tool. Um, for, you know, reviewing instructional materials. Um, there's, you know, no single tool fits all of the context, um, but there are a couple of things that maybe, you know, districts and states should ask themselves and consider when looking to, to do their analyses. So first of all, does the, the tool that you're using include, you know, user guidance on how to rate materials and what to look for when assessing these curricula against um, the criteria that's been set? You know, does the tool reference a research base? So making sure that, you know, the tools that are are being used are informed by research and are informed by evidence that, you know, will help kind of give you peace of mind that it's, you know, not something that's just made up. Um, does the tool assess representation in a meaningful way? And so there's, you know, again, a lot of um, emerging research, a lot of emerging information that's coming out that is really, um, you know, informing how people are looking at materials and particularly around that representation piece and what that means for, um, for outcomes for students. Um, I think another thing that may be useful to think about, too, is just investing in the reviewer training. Um, so giving that time for reviewers and, you know, stakeholders and educators and communities um, to really, you know, get what they need to learn how to review materials and how to look for, you know, those CRE aspects in particular. Um, this makes me think of our work in New Mexico, for example, where um, that state invests very heavily in their reviewer training each year and includes um, quite a bit of um, knowledge and capacity building around cultural responsive um, aspects of education and what to look for in materials. And again, through our, you know, partnership we worked with um, ELSF and um, did a lot of great work that is continuing to inform and build the capacity of educators in New Mexico um, to look for um, CRE in, in their materials. 
But yeah, no, I think, I think that's a great example. And it really shows the power of like we talked about before of having this be a sort of ongoing built into your process um, and that it's not a one-off. And I know um, you had also, you know, when we've talked before, thinking about this as a larger process, sort of like a last, um, a last best practice you'd want to really focus on is that this might involve a lot of fortitude and and really um, making sure folks stay the course. Um, you want to talk a little bit more about about that sort of last best practice too? Absolutely. Um, I feel like you know after the materials have been selected, like that's when you know the the next phase of the work really begins because it's you know the the professional learning that needs to take place to really make sure that you know once the investment has been made in the materials that the educators who are going to be using them have what they need in order to you know implement and and be successful and make sure that those materials are um, you know accomplishing what they need to do and professional learning is not something that should just be at the beginning of the year. I mean, I think back to my time as a teacher and, you know, the first, you know, couple of days back from um, from summer break, it's like, here are your materials, here's, you know, a day or two of training and good luck. Um, that is, that wasn't helpful. And so thinking about ways that, you know, the learning around the materials, what's working, how are they helping students? How are they, how are students responding to the materials? How are teachers responding to the materials is something that can be really, really helpful um, in terms of, you know, ensuring that the implementation is there. Um, and I think, you know, Material, high quality instructional materials can definitely be um, educative and help with the learning curve for implementation. Um, but I think, you know, just simply selecting materials that, you know, are culturally responsive, like that's just, that's not the only thing. Like educators really do need to have uh, the support, have the help, have the additional materials to make sure that they can implement um, effectively. And that is something that really should be year round. Yeah. No, I love that. I love your focus on this is this is this is an iterative process. We're not going to especially when it comes to teaching materials in a holistic way that might involve um and hopefully involve these you know an aspect of culturally responsive education and ensuring that teachers really have the training to do that otherwise either the materials stay on the shelf or they're maybe not implemented in a way that can really support students the way we hope that they would be supported. You know, Jessica Faith, that you just gave so much good advice, you know, around laying the strong foundation, having diverse perspectives at the table, choosing the right tool, investing in that reviewer training, and really planning for implementation as well, all connected to culturally responsive materials. Um, I wonder if folks think about like, oh, you know, what what tools might be out there? What are some resources that I have this great advice? I kind of have an idea of how to structure it, but where are some more places we can go to um, to find those resources or tools to help us in this process? Yeah, great question. So um, over the last couple of years, I've had the the fortunate opportunity to, you know, 
come across great resources, create great resources, um, and collaborate with others and other organizations um, to identify resources. So the first one I'll share is a, an Ed Reports resource, and it's the um, Culturally Centered Education uh, Primer. And so we um, did some great work with Ed First um, a couple of years ago, where we really were just looking at how do people even define culturally responsive education? Um, there are a lot of different terms, a lot of different definitions. And so if you're at a place where you just want to start somewhere to know or try to figure out for your local district context or your state context, what are you thinking about or what do you want to, you know, define as culturally responsive education, that is a great starting point because it links out to a, a lot of great resources and research um, to help inform that decision. Um, a couple of years after the, the primer, we actually did a, a landscape analysis. And in that work, um, a colleague and I did some, you know, research just to kind of see, you know, what, what was out there in terms of tools that, you know, educators are already using to evaluate materials for a range of um, characteristics or aspects of um, culturally responsive education. So again, similar to the, the primer, um, links to lots of research, links to other, you know, resources and other tools that, you know, districts and states can go about using um, if they're interested in, you know, creating their own tools or adopting tools that um, look for spe specific markers of um, cultural relevance, cultural responsiveness in materials. Um, along those lines, um, I know Ed, um, Ed Trust just released um, the tool for representational balance in books. And again, a great resource if you're, you know, wanting to focus on or learn more about the different ways that, um, you know, culture, diversity, equity can show up um, in representation in text. I know a lot of times people just think, oh, well, you know, check the box and say, are there characters of color or, or are there, you know, characters from certain regions? But um, this tool goes into a lot more depth of the different ways that, you know, representation can be expanded. Um, and is, a, I think, a really good tool to check out. And then finally, I'll promote the um, the Baltimore case study that we did um, a few years ago. And this is really an example of how to bring in um, community and parent and family engagement around um, high quality instructional materials. Um, they really did a great job of just showing examples and showing ways that um, Baltimore was able to um, bring in those perspectives as it informed um, their, their adoption process. And so definitely worth checking out if you're interested in, you know, learning ways to bring in more voices and bring in more stakeholders um, to inform and influence the way, um, you know, materials get selected. Yeah, I remember um, working on that case study and getting to speak with so many of the educators in the district, but also some parents and students as well. And all the different ways Baltimore really tried to think outside the box so they could have as many voices at the table, I think could be a great model for districts, like you said. Um, all of the the studies and the um, resources you've referenced, they can be they'll be found in our show notes, so they'll be really easily accessible um, through this episode. Um, and al almost all of them are also on the Ed Reports website. So I think um, thanks for highlighting those, Jessica Faith. I feel like it gives 
a really concrete way for people to learn more of this about this very huge important topic um, and really benefit from your from all the learning and expertise that you've you've already shared with us. You know, I think I think that's about all we have for today, but I just want to give you, is there anything else you want to say to districts or states um, as sort of a final thought? Um, if and and if not, we can go about our way as well. <laughs> um, thanks for the, the opportunity for some some closing remarks. I would just say that if you are, you know, in any position of power to make decisions around um selecting high quality instructional materials to really try to ensure that those materials are culturally responsive. I cannot, you know, share enough about how having, you know, some access, even limited access to um, culturally responsive materials throughout my educative career um, enhanced at my love of learning, enhanced my, you know, ability to see myself in the things that I was learning. And, you know, knowing how that influenced my life, my trajectory, um, I just think that it is something that is, can be, you know, a game changer in terms of being able to provide additional supports, resources that are going to help some of our um, most vulnerable and in need students. So, um, you know, use this as an opportunity to, to learn and just help children. Thank oh. you. Thank you so much, Jessica Bay. Thanks for sharing today and we will have you back soon. Can't wait to see you again.